As you guys know, we are in part two. We, uh, first of all, a couple of things we, we seldom do. Uh, we do series every once in a while, um, but we, our main mode of operation is we go through books of the Bible. We just finished Acts. We've been in Acts for probably a year and eight months, and we just finished that. And so we've been doing uh, a little time of this doctrine for a couple of weeks where we're just continually sharpening ourselves in Christ. And then we're going to enter into... Um, Another book of the Bible, Exodus, uh, starting in September. Uh, so uh, last week we talked about complementarity. Obviously, it's a big topic. And so we're talking about complementarity part two today. Uh, then we're going to uh, enter into uh, work-life balance and the theology of work next week. Then we're going to uh, discuss um, homosexuality and discuss the do- just, like, what's God's thinking in that framework. Uh, then we're going to talk race and culture. Okay, and then we're going to um, enter into Exodus. So we're going to be doing some light topics every week for the next couple of weeks. You know, it's kind of hanging out, chilling, you know, but um, praise God, we're in a body that we can do that. And, and these are all of our topics are pretty intense. And this one is as well. Um, but I feel like the Lord is allowing our body to have charity. And we we really know it's a, an intense topic. And so our prayer um, is not for any one of us to try to be right. Um, we all really want to want to honor Christ. You know, we all really want to walk with the Lord and be filled with the spirit and be led by him and, and do what he's called us to do in his world. And I, and I know that's our hearts. Um, with that, we're all broken. And so we all have our, 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 our postures and our hot spots. And so um, our prayer, even as last week, is that we would uh, keep the shade um, up as I'm sharing um, uh, what we're about as this local body. And we would kind of try to look at what the scriptures are teaching. And then we would kind of hopefully have conversations and stay at the table while we're having conversations, right? Um, that's our heart behind uh, us trying to do hard truths. Um, with that said, uh, if, you, if you missed part one, I don't know how to do this, right? Because, I mean, there was a, it was a lot. It was a little bit behind last week. And so we talked uh, a lot about setting the framework of the discussion of complementarity. And when I use that word, what I'm talking about is that there's two, there's a, an understanding of how God has designed men and women. Uh, and in, their, in our local church, we uh, follow the complementary position where we're saying that uh, God has created us both with value, purpose, and worth. Uh, so a man isn't no better than a woman. A woman is no better than a man. And so we are, all, we are uh, put on this earth to to do what God would do on this earth and take care of God's earth how he would take care of it as uh, agents of change together, man and woman, right? And you can even say as, if you want to say the whole, like as they're both leading and giving that, that, that call to, to have dominion, as it were, I would say it was a call for man and woman to have that. But now the question is complementary position, the complementarities will say that, uh, there's a role, there's a way that we go about doing that to accomplish God's design and that we all have roles distinction. So this is not an issue of essence, value and worth or competence. It's an issue we would say design. Okay. So that's what we're talking about here. And then the other position is that basically we were created um, in, in the same way, but because of the fall that brought about the role distinctions. Okay. That makes sense. Okay, let me pray for us as we jump right in. So if you can listen to part one, I'll share like what I, my conclusion was, and I'm going to jump right in. We're going to hit a lot of text, guys. So I want you to know, we're going to, you hope you're ready to do some Bible gymnastics with me. We're going to look at a lot of scriptures, okay? And we're going to try and process this area a little bit and come to some conclusions, all right? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Okay, y'all, y'all, y'all hungry? Y'all ready, y'all, y'all ready to eat? Yeah, let's get to Jesus Cafe and let's get to rocking it, right? Amen. Amen. Bear your heads, guys. Lord Jesus, um, just like in everything we do, we just need you. And so I do pray that, Lord, you just make my mind sharp. 
that you would uh, fill me and fill this body with your spirit and allow us to see your word as you want us to see your word. Give us a good hermeneutic, Lord, a good rule of interpreting the text to honor you, Christ. Give us uh, an, uh, freedom to disagree, but yet uh, to, to be about what you wanted to be about, Lord. So I just pray for, I, I pray for unity. I pray that we would see clearly. I pray you would allow persuasive argument from your word of what you want us to be about, Christ. But we just need you, and I just pray that you would be exalted, your word would go forth, and you would be pleased. And you will graciously use me in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so, I'm talking about this issue. Um, I've already said, shared that the thing a lot of times, we, what I was trying to share last week is that the egalitarian position and the complementary position, um, uh, we both sometimes fight unfair. Uh, the complementary, we would kind of make it sound like uh, that, that egalitarians aren't using any scripture and and we can just be unfair, and, come, and egalitarians can make it sound like we don't value uh, the worth and, and, and essence of women. And those both are very unfair arguments. Um, egalitarians, uh, people, individuals uh, are very have smart people, smarter than me, um, and, are, and are trying to dive in and exegete the text just like we are. Um, and at the same time, we as complementarians, we, are, we totally affirm the, the essence, value, and worth of women. Um, because we think that God has created us all, right, uh, in unity, in essence, in value. So he's created us all in the imago Dei. I bear the image of God. The women bear the image of God, okay? Plain, plain and simple. But what we will say is that, well, I tried to make the convincing argument of last week, is that uh, what God has done in creation, as we looked at Genesis uh, chapter 2 and chapter 3, and as we went through, you know, just trying to go through the text, we see very clearly uh, that, that basically the way God designs man and woman is basically a bigger picture of how the way God designs creation. And then God is taking our, our interactions, and it's almost retelling a story, a beautiful story that God is doing in all of, redemptive, in all of the redemptive world, and that he's going to actually consummate in Revelation, in the end times, right? So we're saying that God has created men and women to be basically one in essence. He's made us with community in mind that man, you know, was made, and basically God was like, this is the first time I feel like, God, man, that this isn't good. Man shouldn't be alone. He makes woman, but he makes woman as a helper, Okay, helper is not subordinate. Helper is to accompany, to come alongside of, and that her, and that basically, again, same essence, same value, and same worth, but the way we accomplish the goal of maximizing God's glory is different. Role distinction, okay? That the man's role, the posture of the man in that relationship is to be a servant leader, and, one of the, and the ways of servant leadership, one of the two main ways is by protecting and providing. Okay, and that the, the and that the way the woman is actually able to lead and kind of help, be a helpmate, right, is to help him point the world and himself and their family to Jesus. Okay, so the goal is always Christ, and the question is, how do we do the pointing? Okay, that's so that's I, so we would say that as we look at Scripture, we saw very clearly that there seemed to be the sense in the Scriptures as we as we walk through, no, no nothing up my sleeve that. That, man, that man's role was the primary role of, of leading and protecting and caring, and the woman's role, that the way that she accomplishes God's glory is to kind of help him be able to exalt Christ, okay? Now, that 
we would propose also is in line with how God does all the creation. What I did in the beginning last week, I talked about how he makes sea and land and animals and plants and all these things. He makes them different, but they come together to bring out a beautiful design. And then we are the apex of that design, right? Well, and then the apex of us, what are we, the story that we're retelling is we're retelling the Trinitarian story, okay? So if you're going, man, well, world distinction, that, that sounds subordinate to me. Absolutely not, because that's the Trinity, Okay, that the Trinity itself himself is when you look at the role of the father and the son and the Holy Spirit is that you have three individuals. You think of the doctrine of the Trinity. You have, you know, you have one God and three persons. Each person is fully God. So the Holy Spirit isn't any less God than Jesus, the son or the father isn't any less God than the Holy Spirit. And yet. I try to make it really clear that when you look at scriptures, you never see the father get stabbed with a spear. Okay? Because that wasn't his role. His role wasn't to die on the cross. Jesus died on the cross. Okay? Jesus' role and the father's role wasn't to be the comforter. That's the Holy Spirit's role. The father's goal wasn't to just always bring glory to Christ. That's the Holy Spirit's role. And so what we see is we see a a beautiful story of people who are one in essence, the Trinity, the Godhead himself, and yet we see them have different roles of accomplishing their redemptive plan. And in those roles, you have some people doing some things that's pointing toward others. So the Holy Spirit in the flesh gets the bad end of the deal because his role is always to point to somebody. The Holy Spirit's role all throughout scripture is never to point to himself. Never, which by the way, when you see people kind of exalting and pointing to the Holy Spirit, I want to tell you, you got to be careful there because the Holy Spirit's role is always to point to Jesus. That's his role. That's what he does. All I have to say is convince you that we see in the Trinitarian nature himself, we see God saying that you have one God who's doing very different things all for the sake of the glory of the Godhead. Does that make sense? So again, one essence, but yet, They're saying, hey, I'm willing to submit. And I love the beautiful story of 1 Corinthians 15. As you read through that chapter, the story of Jesus submitting to the Father and giving giving the, the kingdom, you get it, and he gives it to the Father, and then the Father gives the kingdom back. See, that's that beautiful love, I call it the fireball of love that you see in the Trinity. Where, where you have individuals not going, but I want to do this and I want to do that and I'm better than you at this and I can do, no, no one's doing that. They're just saying, I love you, you love me. I'm pointing to you, you point to me. I'm giving to you, you give to me. And everyone's kind of serving, serving leadership, caring for each other. And then what you get is you get a big old fireball of love and you don't even know who gets the credit. I'm proposing before the fall, we were supposed to do that we're supposed to look at each other and go, man, I want to love you and I care for you and I protect you and serve you. And, and I want to submit to you and I want to honor you and I want to help you point us to Christ. And, and as we're doing that, this fireball of love and, and no one's feeling like, well, you're, 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 you're tyrannical over me. No one's feeling like you're getting more airplay. No one's feeling like that. Because we're this fireball of love that's pointing to something bigger than us. It's God. The goal of marriage, the goal of relationships, even covenant relationships, is for people to come in here and go, I see Jesus here. People loving and sacrificially caring for each other and and not wondering whose rights are these and you didn't get your rights and you didn't get this and I didn't get this. No one's asking for rights, but everyone's yielding for the greater good of the community. That sounds unlike the world, right? 
Where the world tells you, get yours, consume, dog eat dog world, you better step up. And Christians say, I trust you. I believe the best. You follow me? Okay, that was last week. So, <laughs> this week is going to get a little hairy, okay? So I need you to keep the, keep the shade open. So whenever you feel like you're going like this, just go. All right? So what happens in the fall, we, we mar that. We mess that up. So all of a sudden, you got weak men, that be us, men in the room. We'll, we'll keep it real. We're weak. Without Jesus, we're weak men. We're insecure. And that's why we got you in a headlock, right, in Genesis 3. Okay? Because we're so insecure, and then you know you're on to us, and so you go, you're insecure, you're weak, you're not a good leader. And we go, don't say that about me. Right? And that's kind of the role, that's what happened because of the fall. So there was this beautiful design, we we're supposed to care for each other, but all of a sudden, I try to show how, you know, uh, Eve started connecting with the snake, right? Which, by the way, is role reversal. He should have been leading. And he should begin that role reversal piece, that decreation, right? Which I actually say the Bible says we did, Romans 5. So we can't be blame shifting here, okay? And then what happens is all of a sudden, we are insecure because of our insecurity, we put you in the head like we're tyrannical. Our normal, our normal disposition as men is to be tyrannical over you because, and just tyrannical people because we're insecure, right? And your normal disposition, as we looked at, as we looked last week, is to, Say, you know what? I want to usurp authority and I want to lead and I want to take over. So now, egalitarians and complementarians both agree with that. So you can't go, if you're a woman going, I'm not, I don't want to usurp authority. Yeah, you do. The Bible told on you. And guys, if you're thinking, no, I'm a really good leader. Well, no, you're not. You're not. Unless you're yielding Christ, you're a jacked up leader. And you're going to mess some stuff up. So now, what happens is... Complementarians and egalitarians are both saying, hey, because of the fall, these roles are distorted, okay? So now the argument really isn't about are the roles distorted. The question is, what does it look like to recapture that redemptive role? So that's the argument. You understand the argument, guys? The argument is what happens after the fall and in redemption, okay? In redemption, what is God's desire for you and me as a people of God? Now, the egalitarian would say that in redemption... That basically what it does, it wipes out again this whole concept of, of role distinction and it levels the playing field for everyone to realize they're one in Christ. Uh, there's oneness, there's community. And man, a woman has full participation in every aspect of life, every aspect of the covenant community, and there's no restrictions. That's the egalitarian position, that's position. Now, here's where we're not fighting fair. Complementarians believe... <laughs> That women, and I'm going to share when we're, when we're unfair too, so I don't think I'm just going to beat up the, the egalitarians, okay? But complementarians believe, a healthy complementarian believe, because you have some unhealthy ones around here, all right? But a healthy complementarian believes that, yeah, absolutely, that basically in, in, in redemption, what was restored was the issue of how we treat each other. And so that means that women have access to every aspect of covenant community, but now the question is, and can lead, but now the question is, as we recover what happened before the fall, again, we're back to what was happening before the fall. That's very important. That's why I tried to establish last week what happened before the fall. 
Because if we're trying to get to that, now we've got to have a conversation. That makes sense? All right. So, so what we're talking about right now is restored complementarity, really. All right. And then I'm going to talk about the egalitarian position. So we'll see both positions, try to be very honest. So we're saying both are in the image of God, both equal in their God-like personhood, both also, we would say, different in their manhood and womanhood. Different. And what sin ruined, Christ recovered, right? And so we're going to look at, um, but, but the question we really have is we both agreed with that, but we agree with what, what, he, what did he recover? Ephesians 5, 21, verse 32 will be our first passage. Um, again, you can read on your own verses 17 all the way down. I don't have time, for, time right now. I will tell you verse 21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence of Christ. Okay, because I don't want you thinking, oh, you tried to hide that verse. Not trying to, not trying to hide any verses, y'all. I got about 35 minutes, 40 minutes some all right, so, so it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, okay? So what God is doing, he's talking about being filled with the Spirit. He's telling the believers, hey, here's what it looks like to be a Christian be, and, and to walk with the Lord. Be filled with the Spirit. Then he goes and tells them, hey, here's kind of the household code, code for the people of God. The people of God are, submit, are, are, are submissive people in the sense that we have power. Now, hear this. Here's what this submissive is, okay? That's power under control. It's like a synonym to meekness. Okay, it's not a wimp. It's someone who actually has power, but you ain't just like, ah! you, you know, you're not the Tasmanian devil. Okay, a, a Christian, you have power under control, right? I, uh, for me, personally, my wife, I think, models that the most in, in, in my life. A woman who is super chill, everybody thinks she's chill, but you wrong her and you will see her step to you, look you in the eye and tell you you was wrong. See, that's power under control. She ain't got to walk around here with a big limp, you know, and acting all hard. You ain't got to do all that. Right? You ain't got to show you hard. You know, you know how many cats think they show they hard. They ain't really hard. And then you get those cats, you know, who be like real chill, you know, and they'll pluck your eyeball out real quick. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? saying? Give me that crazy cat. You know what I'm saying? That crazy dude who's sitting in the coffee shop all to himself right here looking at everybody. You try me. You know what I'm saying? So... Power under control. So, so God is saying, hey, a Christian, we don't have to go around claiming our rights. So he said everybody should submit. Everybody has a submitting heart. Submit to everyone out of because you revere Jesus. But look at this. But then it says in verse 18 now. And here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to show us. Again, I, I, I'm pretty sure. I think I made a convincing argument about the framework that we just shared. So what I'm trying to show you now is what that looks like in marriage. Then I want to show you some hard passages of what it looks like as we have church. Ecclesiastically, how do, how do you do this in a church, okay? So in marriage, notice, notice how God, I mean, he could have wrote this in any way, right? But notice how he says, hey, everybody's supposed to submit. But then he makes the clear mandates when he starts talking about marriage. And he gives the woman specific mandates. And he gives the man specific mandates, okay? Notice this. And it's not the first place. This is Ephesians verse 18. Wives... Now, why would he do that? Submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And he says, bond servants, obey in everything those who are, are your earthly masters, uh, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. 
Wives, again, verse 22, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So he does this and he gives, he gives specific imperatives. And in Greek, you know, and I don't do this a lot, but these words are very important. These are imperatives. These means these are commands. All right. So he's saying, everybody submit to the Lord. And he says, women, you submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Okay. And it's in the sense of meaning, almost like if you, you know, if you want it, when he says ask to the Lord, that's cool because he's saying like, if you want to know what it means, one aspect, one aspect of obedience to God for you, you want to know like, how do I obey God? God through Paul is saying, you submit to your husband. If you want to know how to obey God, ask to the Lord. That's what that means. That's, that's one of the main aspects of how you, how you obey the Lord. Then he says, verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, this is kind of, um, this kind of uh, parallel to 1 Corinthians 11, where he talks about the sense of head. And there's a lot of debate. Now, the debate is interesting. The egalitarians would say that the head does not mean leadership here. The head means source. Okay. And the reason why they get that is because fairly in 1 Corinthians 11, the context does make more sense to me that it means source. That basically a woman comes from man, right? Just like Jesus basically in the incarnation came from God, right? Source, right? Whereas in this passage, I think they got it wrong. I think, well, I'm pretty confident they got it wrong. And the thing is, we always, you understand a hermeneutic, uh, that means rules of interpretation. When you're studying the scriptures, you use context as key in addition to biblical context, even like understanding biblical doctrine, and then you use context as key. And here, it just would make an interesting, wouldn't make much sense when he says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. It seems that he's talking about certain languages, actually, of unpacking what does it mean to be the head. Does that make sense? And one of the things he's saying to be the head, it was that he saved the church. Which I'm proposing is that he's trying to make a claim that one of the ways that we are being men is when we protect. When we protect, right? How did Christ protect the church? He got murdered for the church. Guys, that's protection. Because guess what? Him being murdered for you saved you. He protected you. Guess what happens if Christ doesn't get murdered for you? You and I, we go to hell. Right? There's no other payment for sin. Other than our savior. And so that's why I think it's problematic here. And even if you put the word source, you can't get past the way the, the, the posture, the, the, the way the language is pointing toward that there's a sense of God saying in Christ, there's still a distinction in roles. And there's still a way that I want the men to go about doing kingdom life and the way the woman goes about doing kingdom life. And as they do that, well, there's a beautiful design that retells the story of God. I just think you can't get past that. Even if I'll give you source in both and you still can't get past that reality. But guess what? Not only 1 Corinthians 11, which you need to write down, but also in Colossians 3, 18 through 4, verse verse 18 in chapter 3, chapter 4, verse 1, it's the same framework. He's very clear. Why? Submit to your husbands. He's sharing the same kind of context again. So this is interesting that he would continue to share these kind of framework and words if there is a sense of like, no, we all just submit. I'm proposing, yeah, we all just submit, but there's a special submission that God desires for the way he designed us as people in order for us to accomplish the goal of retelling the story of the gospel. As, we, as we're in marriage relationship and as we are, I, I want to propose a little later, in ecclesiastical life. Now, 
uh, I'll just give you a preview. We're going to look at first, first Peter three in a, in a moment. This does not mean, because this is in the context of marriage, that every woman walks around and submits to every man. That's not what this text is saying. So don't think that my wife needs to go get you some coffee or something crazy, all right, because you don't read this passage. It's crazy, all right? Because she's going to come tell me we're going to have problems, right? This means that in the context of marriage, that we have uh, this kind of relationship in marriage, okay? Um, now, where am I? Okay, so it says, now, I'm in verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ. Now, notice that he says, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to their husbands. You see this language again? This isn't source language. <laughs> the church submits to Christ because the, the people of God obey Jesus. I mean, is this, <laughs> right? Um, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, notice that. So see the mandate that the man got? I'm proposing he got the same mandate that he got in Genesis. Okay? Right? Leave, grab this lady, protect her, care for her, sacrificially love her, servant lead her. You're like, you wake up, you should be worried about like, man, is, am I, how, how is she? Am I pointing her to Jesus? Is she growing? Is she enjoying the Lord? Is she enjoying life in God's world? This, this kind of sacrificial love and service is the furthest from tyrannical love. It's the furthest. It's sacrificial. It's, it's, it's woman first. A godly man, a real man, a man that God is saying, the reason why I created you is you've got a helper here. And what, and what she's doing is she's trying to point you to Christ. And as she's pointing you to Christ, she's saying, man, I love, you know what's cool? He created all the animals and everything. He created his woman. And he said, guess what? Just like that, all those are not as important as she is. Guess what's most important right now? She is. Guess who you lay your life down for? The giraffe? No. You lay your life down for her. Guess when you wake up and you say, okay, how do I worship God? By protecting and serving and caring and providing for this queen. Some of us get it twisted when our wives are emotional wrecks and we're doing whatever we want to do and, we don't really, and we're doing ministry or whatever and we don't realize God is saying, no, this woman first. Look what he says here. I'm going to skip on down. You know what? Let me read these words to encourage the saints. I'm going to skip the scriptures. Look at this. And gave himself up for her. This is what Jesus did, which is a picture we're supposed to do, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water, uh, washing of water with the word, verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. You see that, Pat? You see what's going on again? It's all about Christ. Why? So this person, holy, without, man, pointing to Christ. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. You hate your body? No, you don't. He loves, he who loves his wife loves himself. You see, a person who, according to the passage here, you can't say you love yourself if you don't love your wife. You see that? Why I propose because there's a, there's a oneness that models the Trinity again. That you're not, you're not indistinct, right? You're not codependent, but you're interdependent. You can think you can't live without her, but you are one with her. It says, for no one even hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, right? Just as Christ does the church. Okay, that's not, see, you don't talk that way. See, nourishing and cherish, that's not a source issue. That's a, that's like a, 
a care issue. That's a in care of issue. It's just language, guys, right? Um, then he quotes, you know, therefore, I'm sorry, just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, verse 32, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband again. See that posture? I mean, we got to be in agreement. I talked to my friends. I'm like, we got to agree, man. There's a different posture that I'm to come at life versus my wife in the home. Right? Now, again, 1 Corinthians 11, I think, I think the term is source. So I just want, you to rem- I want to remind you of that as you look at that text in a little, in a little bit. Um, I think it follows from the fact that Christ is the leader of his disciples. I just want to talk about what manliness is about. When you look at that passage, what is manliness? You know, I talked about the reality that, man, I'm, I'm nervous because we as, a, we as a world, we got to recover. What does it mean to be a man and a woman? For our kids, our kids are learning, like, what does it mean? Guys are learning to just beat people. I mean, just think about how silly the definitions are. It seems as we looked at our, our text last week and looking at even this text here, that servant leadership... Uh, seems to be one of the main mode of operations as when is it, what does it mean to be a man? So men, you have young kids, you have a boy, you teach them first, a, a, a real leader serves. Servant leadership, courageous servant leadership. And what's cool is we have the picture in Christ. You, you say, well, your son says, what does that mean? You read the gospels, right? Here's, look, look what Jesus does. Look how courageous he is. Look what he does. Look how he serves. That's what we're to do. And Luke 22, I think, really, really defines that method of leadership. So you can look at that, that, that uh, chapter. I think it's a beautiful chapter, uh, specifically in uh, 25, verse 25. Also protection, which I already talked about implied in Christ's death. And then provision. It seems like those are kind of the, the modes that we as men are, are to, uh, to move in light of as we, as we kind of do life in God's world. Um, we're going to go to 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 7. Look what it says in the scriptures, ladies and men. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without word by the conduct of their wives. You see that? When they, do, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold and jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy, men, holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, right? And you are... Her children, if you do, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. All right. Let me just say a couple things here. Uh, first thing, I want to talk about uh, submission, and then can you remind me, because I thought you had a great question, and my sister was so uh, courageous last week to say, hey, the question that Sandra had was about me as I'm trying to walk in life for my husband who isn't really loving the Lord, and what does that look like? Remember we had that question last week? I want to address that briefly after we hit uh, this whole concept of submission. Here's what submission is not. It does not mean agreeing with everything your husband says, Okay. 
It does not mean leaving your brain or your will at the wedding altar. It does not mean avoiding effort to change your husband. You hear me? Because I want to propose that's part of what a helpmate is. You see him jacked up, pray for change. Try to be wise and change him for God's glory. I'm proposing that's part of your W-2 form. You on you every year, you're supposed to say, I'm trying to make my husband more godly. That's what I do. Because the more godlier he is, the better you're going to be. So I, I get so, and you can tell it's a hot spot, I get frustrated when I meet women who think that, that, that submission and even like help, helping him is to kind of disagree with whatever he wants to do. You know, you think you're being a godly wife. You're, 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 you're dishonoring him because he, right there, that was an unbiblical thing he wants to do. You need to step up and say, bro, I love you, committed to you, ain't going nowhere. But man, that ain't even godly. That ain't nowhere in Christ. You know, love you to death. That's a helpmate. You have, no, you have no clue how many times Sarah has graciously helped me. <laughs> Amen. Submission does not mean putting the will of the husband before the will of Christ. Your job is to obey Jesus first. The reason why you obey the man is because you're praying that he's obeying Jesus. Right? This is a bigger straw. Right? So you, you pay Christ, I'll obey you. I'm, I'm cool. And so now when you see him kind of off kilter, you help him. You be gracious, submissive, and kind. Right? Affirming his leadership. I'm proposing that's the posture in scripture. But you definitely help. Um, so, again, it's not a, a general submission of women in sex toward men. You know, it's not a, that's not the issue here at all. The content is marriage. It doesn't speak to competence. Now, notice that here. It says, I mean, you, you know, we talk about competence. And this, guy, this is saying that you obey him. Obey a dude who's not even walking with the Lord. Did we just read that? How can you get more incompetent? We think incompetence is like, well, I'm a better speaker than him. God's saying, if he walk with Jesus, that's the worst of incompetence. Do you understand that? In the world, we think incompetence is pragmatic. Do you, you follow me? Do you think God is more excited that you can balance the checkbook better than him or that you're godlier? <laughs> he cares about godliness. So I'm proposing to you, this lets you know, this is never, this is not a competence issue. Because God is telling you to obey a pagan. <laughs> okay, guys? Now, how, how do you do that? Well, so this is what's hard, is that you continue to pray for him. I love this concept here. Can I just, I love how he talks about this whole issue of adorning, right? So basically in a nutshell, why is he bringing this up in context? And again, human hermeneutical principle, you want to understand the context, the historical context of the first century. Uh, individuals back then, you know, it's not the case now, but back then you, you spent a few bucks, you know, maybe 20 bucks on jewelry. Uh, you were seeing this kind of fast, Okay. And so the women who were prostitutes and who did things that were dishonorable to the Lord with their bodies, uh, they, were, they were draped out. They was blinging, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and so obviously there's a cultural issue there because right now, you know, I mean, how many of you guys got jewelry on that cost more than $20, right? Well, you would be looked upon as having an issue back then. But obviously that's a cultural context issue. So we, gotta, we, gotta, we have to discern what's cultural, 
right? And what's theological here? The point here is God is saying, hey, I want you, by God's grace through Peter, to encourage the women that people should be able to focus not on your external appearance, but focus on your godliness. And that, that God wants you to look different than the world. Not, not Now, here's, here's the difference. We're in a culture now where man, we want to celebrate women's beauty, and, and it's not about you not looking pretty like someone who's an unbeliever. That's not what's going on here. Look pretty, women, okay? Praise the Lord. But what God, what God is saying, that shouldn't be your substance. That shouldn't be all you got. And so when, you know, if you sing or someone have a conversation with you, they should be more impressed with what you said and how you act and how you demand respect from him. They should be more impressed with your godliness, right? And that affects how you dress, right? Because at the end of the day, we are sexual beings and we want to make sure we are helping our brothers to not fall into temptation. Same for us as men, correct? So those are, these are all in Christ. There ain't no, no rules. That's the hardest part about being a Christian, right? You know, you had your 600 some ordinances and your 10 commandments and you just kind of try to follow them in the Old Testament. Jesus comes and says, oh, that, look, hey, do everything in Christ. What? What does that mean? <laughs> right? But that's the beauty of it. So now you need to pray and talk to your husband and think through what does it look like for you to honor God and honor men and men honor women as we're doing life together. Okay. So, so, you, so we pray for the individual, we, we, we become more godly. So I would say the role of a person who has a man who is not a believer, and they're like, man, what do I do? I want to propose, God says, pursue Christ. Why? Walk with the Lord. Grow more in Jesus. Get on your job. You know, the, the, the adage is a lot of men are looking for queens, but they're not kings yet. Everybody wants the, the wife to be off the chain, and then they got addiction, they run around crazy, they lazy. Right, but they want the sugar mama to be everything, right? Well, they, that don't make no sense. This take out of Christianity, that don't make no sense as a human. What a human thinks like that? Okay, so I'm gonna propose that God is saying, "Hey, guess what? Get tight, lady. Grow in the Lord. Get godly. Get wise. Get women around you. Start learning the oracles of God." So that dude, as pagan as he is, he keeps being around you, and he's seeing you more godly. More kind, more discerning, more courageous. I mean, pure unadulterated wisdom is from the knowledge of God. So you can't get more wise than just devouring devouring the word. So I'm proposing he's devour the word, know Jesus, walk with Christ, have your confidence in Christ. Then let God do what he's going to do. So that's the advice. Submission is power under control. Try to persuade you of God's original design for creation. Uh, and show this even in the New Testament just to see those different passages that it just, I mean, I, I didn't take you to Colossians, but just to see the fabric of how God has designed uh, men and women. And so in the New Testament, roles for men and women in marriage are rooted not in sinful pride, uh, not in cultural expressions. Those are there. But I want to propose in the New Testament is rooted in God's original design for creation. Um, so now what do we have before us today? Okay, here we go. Now we can, so what do we have before us today? Let's look at men and roles in covenant community by looking at a few controversial passages, okay? Now, there's struggle on both sides. I'm going to say that real quick. Um, as far as what does participation mean for women and men in covenant community? Matthew?
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of discussion on the whole concept of weaker vessel. Uh, I don't, I would propose that he, again, is not talking about essence, but about makeup, right? That basically the way, the way that we are designed and wired is not that we're weaker in a sense of, and this is where I, I, I really struggle. I was talking with Sarah. How do I talk about practicalities without staying there? Because when you really think about practicalities, it, it actually does. I mean, practically, it makes sense, right? At the sense of emotions and things of that sort. But, but I, what I want to do for the sake of the argument, because that's why I didn't go there on purpose. No, I love you still. You're my dog. But um, let me pause on weaker vessel, and I might answer that as a question maybe. Uh, I don't know when we'll answer that. But I want to propose that, I, I, that, that historians, I think some complementarians will say this is a reason why they believe that they're not an essence issue, but a subordination. I don't think it's subordinate. I think they're talking about the way that men are wired and the way that men and women are wired, that they are more susceptible to certain things that actually hinder community. And then we're more susceptible in other areas as well. But he's talking about in the specific incidents, he's talking about that they're more weaker in this area. So that's all I can give you all for now. I promise. I'm sorry. But I want to keep rolling, and then hopefully I can, I can come back, okay? So keep that in your minds, weaker vessel, 1 Peter 3, okay? What I want to do is I want to give uh, uh, some shout-out to egalitarians because they struggle with biblical examples of women leading in the Bible. So you have Judges 4, where you have Deborah leading. She's leading Israel. Um, in fact, all the way till I think, Saul becomes king, um, you have Miriam, who's a prophet. Um, you have in Second Kings, uh, you have the prophetess there. Um, who, to the point, I believe, like the king wouldn't even go into battle uh, without, uh, without, um, without Deborah. <laughs> I would show, I mean, so, so, you know, I'm just, I want to be, so there's some, opera, there's, there's, there's scriptures that are showing women leading in, in, in drastic ways. Um, Here's the question, though. I, 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 I want to just be honest. Like, in, in these examples, these few examples, I think the, the, the egalitarians would say, see, here are women leading, so therefore there should be total freedom for us to do whatever. And I totally disagree with that. So I just think that the reality is that women are leading in the scriptures. You even have uh, Phoebe here who uh, is called a deacon in, in Romans chapter 16. And the complementarians are never saying that women can't lead. So that's where I, wanna, I just want to say we need to fight fair again. What, what complementarians are saying is that the posture of leadership is that it seems that as we do community, there should be a, a posture, an affirmation of male leadership. And that's our, our role. And there should be an affirmation of, of helper, of helping men lead the church, lead families in Christ. That should be kind of the posture. And... And so with that being said, I would propose that you can be a deacon because that means you're a, you're a servant. And we have leaders who are leading and doing things, but yet they're not the head honcho because I'm proposing it doesn't really model the creative design that God has for us. Let me try to prove this a little bit, and then we'll, I'll come back and get your question in a moment, sis. Um, so let's look at a few passages here. First Timothy... 2, verses 8 through 15. All right. Uh, I desire then that in every place the man should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. 
Verse 9, likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, that piece again, with modesty and self-control, not braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, right? And so we see this whole concept of how you should look again. Verse 10, but with, with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. So here, uh, I would, I would disagree with um, some of my complementarian brothers saying that therefore women cannot, um, cannot teach. Um, I'm going I'm to talk about that in a moment. I think this context is saying uh, that basically he's asking women to learn, which is huge, because what happens in the New Testament, let me just set the stage. So in the New Testament, a woman couldn't even vote, okay? Uh, in the sense that if, 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 if someone was caught stealing something, and 15 women said we saw them, it wouldn't count as a testimony, okay? So that's the culture we were dealing with at the time, all right? And so when Jesus comes, he comes and radically changes things, uh, and he changes things by really giving, I would propose, by reinstituting, redeeming the relationship that God had desired for men and women, and that was that women were affirmed, were, had value, had purpose and worth, and it mattered what they said. And so now you saw Jesus hanging with women. You saw Jesus doing things with women. You saw actually Jesus allowing women to have leadership roles. And we're going to talk about what that means in a moment. My point being, I think it's unfair when we say complementarians distinct women shouldn't lead. We're saying, how should women lead? Okay, how is the question, not if, how. Um, and so here... What was happening is you have this command first that he wants them to learn. Why? Because women were uneducated, because women couldn't learn back then. And so, so what's happening is Paul is saying, no, we want women to learn. And the thought of a woman teaching was, was, was this kind of non-existence, okay? And so when it says in quietness and submission, um, I want to say this is not talking, but I'm sorry, I think he's saying that basically you go to your husbands and in the context of what was happening here is you had women for the first time was, was learning and growing in their faith and getting doctrine and obviously were kind of speaking out and were kind of challenging maybe perhaps. I mean, this is what theologians would say and that, and that Paul was kind of saying to people, hey, your newfound freedom of learning, don't turn it into an opportunity to be prideful, but sit down, relax, and actually grow in your faith. In a nutshell. Um, now, the egalitarians would say, this is an example that men, so there's all equal now. We're just kind of, we can do whatever. I would say, no, I think this is a recovery of the fall. Women should be able to learn, right? And women should be able to grow in doctrine and be prepared and equipped to lead, which was not the case before Jesus. And so what's happening here is this is, I, we would agree with the egalitarian's position here that actually a God is affirming women, that he's, he's encouraged women, and actually that this is a place not where he's saying just don't say anything, but hey, it, don't say, say things in the right time. And right now is not the right time because you don't know much because you haven't been grown up in your doctrine yet. Um, he says, verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Okay, this whole concept again. Now, this is a hard passage for a lot of us, right? I am not permitting. I don't think he's saying, because this is a, it's called a, a present active indicative. Uh, and he's saying so that you're, this is like a present thing. Presently, I don't want women to, to teach or exercise authority. And, I, and I'm proposing that this is, again, the posture that he has for us, that women 
are to have the posture of helper and not be saying, I'm going to kind of try to roll and con- try to rule and control things. Um, just trying to make sure I get my notes here. So he's, so this is a clear warning and egalitarians agree with this. They would agree that there's a clear warning against dominance and control uh, that women were trying to possess in the first century. They would just say it was just for that moment. Whereas we would say that no, God was saying that, hey, these guys, they were, in a, they were in an environment where they were trying to exercise authority over the leader. And it wasn't affirming that man's leadership. Does that make sense? Um, Now, what I would not do, I'm going to go on, it says in verse 13, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Now, this is where I disagree with my complementary brothers and sisters. We would say here, see, this is God showing you that almost like a tear, you know, uh, that because she was deceived, therefore, you know, don't, basically almost like because she's, because Eve was deceived, therefore the, the, the punishment is she can't teach, Right? which is not the case. What this is really saying basically is that same, that same trap as it were that Eve fell into of basically trying to do something where she didn't have all the information. Don't fall into that trap. That makes sense. Uh, Verse 15 says, yet she will be saved through childbearing. If they continue in faith and love and holiness for self-control, that's an easy verse. I don't even need to explain that one. That was a joke. Um, A lot of of stuff here. I I would just propose that um, that, that, that people thought, uh, give you the the short answer, that broad safety through childbearing had the idea that the curse is basically being overturned because the main manifestation of the curse was the issue of childbearing for women. And that basically God is just reminding women that the curse is being overturned and will one day be completely overturned in Jesus. Uh, And that's the whole point of that piece. Um, Point of the passage is I want to show you that, man, you know, even if we're not going into like women can never do whatever, we have to at least see there's a posture again of what the man needs to be doing and what the woman needs to be doing in order to have harmony. And please don't write the script yet. Let's talk about that in a moment. Okay, I just want to show that there seems to be a posture here. First Corinthians 11, verse 2 through 16. Um, I know there's a lot of verses. Uh, now I commend you, remember me in everything and maintain the traditions as I deliver them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a woman is her husband and the head of Christ is God. Could be source, could be leadership. Every man who prays or prophesies with his covered dishonors his head. Praying or prophesying is exercising some sense of leadership. Prophesying is truth-telling or foretelling, but both is kind of instructions to edify the church. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Okay, what is that saying? That's saying that women were prophesying. Okay, that means women were at some point edifying, edifying people with God's truth. Okay, so I think it's unfair for us as complementarians to not just say, okay, that's in the word. There it is. So now the question is, well, what does that mean? <laughs> okay, that makes sense what I'm saying, guys? Since it is the same as if her head were shaving. Verse 6. 
For if a wife would not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head since he's the image of uh, glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. Uh, Then he says, verse 8, for a man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Um, Neither in glory means honor and attention. That basically we point to God, the woman. Again, I propose this is whole sense of headship and our posture, glory, honor, and attention. We point to God. The woman actually points to us, right? In the sense that like us, you know, for example, it's just practical, right? If I'm using this and we're hanging out and my wife is really godly, like people are like, man, you, you have a godly wife. And that points honor and attention to like, man, look what the Lord is doing in your relationship. In the same way, when we honor the Lord, we point to the Lord. Does that make sense? That's really, it's really practical stuff. Um, neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. So he, so he basically talks about this interdependence thing again, verse 10. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. A whole nother issue. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is not born of woman. And all these things are from God. So it's trying to show you the interdependence again of these individuals. Point being... Um, it's reminding us that God has made all things to work together for his design. And we see right here in the text uh, that, okay, there is some teaching, but we don't see, and this is where I think my, our egalitarian friends, we, we get it wrong and we, and we, take too, we go too far. We don't, there's no recollection in all of these texts of this posture of now of people, of, of women leaving. We see people telling the truth. We see people having leadership roles in a sense of doing things and having operation into the kingdom. But there's not this posture that I think we, we, we kind of deduct. Um, finally, and then I'm going to make some, uh, some statements. Verse 34 and 35 of chapter 14. Stay with me a little longer because I want you to make sure you're awake for the end because that's where we really need to, to, to land the plane. The woman should keep silent in the churches. Verse 34. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission. As the law also says, is there anything, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in the church. Again, there is a lot of culture involved in this, and so it's hard to, to get the culture out and the theology out, so I want to admit that. But what, we, what, what I want to propose to you that this, these are women learning, they're growing in the Lord, and again, they're sharing and, and outbursts and things are happening. And this is happening in different places. So it seems to be a common occurrence. So these are different letters and yet we're seeing some of the same things. Um, and he's saying, for they're not per- permitted to speak, but should be in submission. Because that kind of should be the posture again, is that you're kind of learning, submitting, hearing what's going on. Um, and if they desire to learn, if, they're gonna, if they want to have questions, saying, hey, go, go to the house. Talk through those doctrine issues with your husband in this stage is what the scriptures are saying. And it says for, now we talk about church here, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. We can't, we can't as complementarians think it was like a time like this, right? This whole point is that in covenant community, when there's instruction being given, people being trained up, there's an order to it. And that these women, that women were, were disobeying the order with some of the newfound freedoms. And he's trying to correct that. But... So I don't stand by saying, therefore, because I don't think that I don't I don't see the I don't see the arc of the scriptures having this arc of saying here are the two things that you can do and the things you can't do. It seemed to be a posture of 
there's, a, there's, a, there's a, an arc of male leadership where the woman is helping and that in those roles that show clear authority, which I would say the two that, I, that seem to me to have weight is when you look at First Timothy 3 and you look at all these different passages, you see women being able to help. You actually see a woman being a deacon, but you don't see women having to exercise in the authority of an elder or the pastor. You don't see that in the scriptures. And so I propose because those are two main authoritative roles that really affirm the leadership of the governance of the body of Christ. Um, another famous passage, we won't go there, is Galatians 3, 28, because we already agree on that. Egalitarians would say, see, we're all one. We agree with that as complementarians. Here's, here's what, um, so what do we see out of all this? Now hear me here, I'm just going to go through this. Uh, the agreement in both camps is that God made us uh, for a reason and a fall marred it, right? Uh, the egalitarian the, the community would say he made us for community and oneness and co-leadership. Complementarians would say, but yes, but with the role distinctions to actually accent and complement the oneness, okay? Um, already talked about the Trinity, that there's a consistent thread that male leadership is the posture and the role of helper is the posture of a woman. Um, egalitarians will spend a lot of time showing in the scriptures, for example, that Jesus celebrates women, therefore they have full access into the community life. Again, in what way though? So the father, and I already talked about how Jesus did certain things and the father did certain things. When you see the examples of Jesus and the woman anointing his feet, when you see the radical expressions of the Samaritan woman, when you see uh, they were pupils, when you see women actually in the scriptures carry the money. They were the money. They held, they held the cheese, right? You see women having clear, and this is, this is what seems to be the point. You see women having clear areas where they are, they, are flood, they are pushed right into the narrative. In fact, women found Jesus' body first. All these things that are happening are radical. You didn't have women disciples. You, I mean, rabbis never in the history before Christ had a woman disciple. Okay? So you have Jesus has women disciples. He's asking women for their advice. Women are supporting the church. They're carrying the money. You got Phoebe pushing a letter to the Romans. Right? You got the, the, the women find a body. But you know what you don't see? In all of these, in all of these acts of clear, like, service... And people being, and women being involved in the story, being valued, doing great things. From Phoebe, when you show, when you, when you, she held the letters to the Romans and she took it. Do you know what that means? That means when people ask about what did Paul mean there, she got the charge from Paul to explain that too. Right? That's, that's leading. But what kind of leadership is that? You don't see in any of those examples, you don't see the lady come back going, yeah. You know, I found, I saw Jesus was gone first, so now I'm an apostle. You, you don't see a posture of like, therefore, now I'm usurp authority. You, don't, you see a posture of like, hey, Jesus told me, she got the first instruction from Jesus, y'all. Jesus told me that he's risen from the dead. We haven't seen the body. Okay, what, now what do you guys want to do? That's what you see. So I'm proposing that all throughout the, 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 the fabric of scripture is you see a posture of women leading, doing great things in the kingdom, serving, caring, but you see a clear affirmation from those leaders who are doing awesome things, just like we have in our church. 
There are great leaders in our church who are women, but they all affirm the leadership of the men, of their leaders, of their pastor, of their elders. And that seems to be the posture that we see in scripture here, but not just, hey, here are the four things you can do. Here's the four things you can't do. It seems that affirming that posture of leadership seems to be the case. So, and I think Jesus, guys, had the best opportunity, when you think about it, to show a bent toward leadership. I mean, it's not like he was like, well, I don't want to get too crazy. I mean, he had already, in fact, you think about it, that's why they asked him questions. You know, they came back, they're, they're like, why are you, they were surprised. The scripture said they were surprised that he was talking to a Samaritan woman. So there's two big issues there. First, you're talking to a Samaritan, and she's a girl. You're a rabbi, what you doing? You don't think these disciples was, was, was sexist and and going, what is this brother doing? You don't think they had to get used to seeing women hanging out too? And then Jesus saying, hey, what do you guys think? See, the, the, the position, I don't want to make sure we don't mar the position. It's not like, I mean, man, how do I make it practical here? I, I don't want to pick a guy out, but how many guys in this room think you have more influence than Jenny? Just keep it 100. You don't. Can I keep it 100? She's on our staff team. You don't think I listen to her? You ask her how many times we're in the staff meeting, and I'm like, Jenny, what you think? Right? But the posture of the leadership is she's affirming that God has made you our leader. I'm affirming the male leadership. She affirms that. And our church affirms that. How many of the women in here are more godly than some of their dudes and are leading well? And I'm like, don't do that. You see what I'm saying? This is not about leadership. Again, first, first thing I said last week was no. I, I agree. God said, y'all, take dominion over the earth. Now, how? So let's exercise our leadership. Let's think about those things. But we do it with a posture of like, I was created to help. I was created to help point you to Christ. And you were created to protect and lead and serve. So, hey, let me help you protect, lead, and serve. And you help me help. I would say that's kind of the posture. Jesus could have very well, why did he do it? Why did he not? Why did he do all those things? Why did he say, you can carry the money. You can hang with me. You can be the first person to leave out the grave. You see me come out the grave and tell people, which was this. I'm sorry, Lord. That was stupid for a first century Jew to do because no one ever believed a woman. So if you're trying to convince people about a resurrection, you don't sin. You don't do that. But he did because he was trying to say something to the culture that, yes, I've redeemed the fall. Women have purpose and value and worth and they have essence. and They're created in the Imago Dei and they're valuable in their worth. But you know what he didn't do? He didn't say, now I want you to be an apostle. Why? He never said, I want you to be the 13th disciple. Why not? They hung out just like everybody else. I'm proposing because the ark was to say, hey, celebrate, care for, embrace but yet, there's a way that God has designed this thing that's supposed to tell the story, and I want to make sure the story's told right. Jesus could have did it, but he didn't. Conclusions, and then pray, guys. So 
So yeah, I, I think it's okay. We as complementarians, we don't have to dog our egalitarian brothers and sisters and say, no, that verse is, that, that, that verb is wrong in Romans 16 about her being a deacon. I'm like, I think she was a deacon because you can serve in the church and lead in that way. But I'm proposing the ark. I think we miss it when we start saying pastors, yes, anybody, and elders, yes, anybody, because you're missing the ark. It's one of like, no, that celebrating the, the affirmation of male leadership. And man, do we even need that any more time than now? Or we need to recover a robust understanding of men being like, you can lead and serve. And I want to, all right, all that I think is theology applied. Can I just, can I just be vulnerable with you and just share this? And this is going to get me in trouble. But I was going to share um, what I think really jump, was jumping off here. Because now it's messy. We got awesome women all over the world. We didn't even talk about work. <laughs> all right. Um, we got awesome women who can do awesome things all over the world, work and do an awesome ad and value like crazy. And so it's like weird now. If you start talking this kind of doctrine, what do you do with all these awesome women working and, you know, CEOs and all this stuff and doing this stuff and just, like, just leading and, you know, in society? Well, I don't think you make some big, you know, recall. You know, everybody stop. You know, and I don't want any woman here right now, if you're leading ministries, I mean, I got, I mean, man, I got my sister, you know, Emily leading the ministry. I got, I mean, it's, we're leading things. You know what I'm saying? And what I'm saying is even in these texts here, I'm saying you see women leading with an affirmation, though, of like what God intended. That's all I'm saying. And I'm proposing that because of the fall, so we've been spending thousands of years with this decreative mindset, in my opinion. So this is my opinion now. And what happens is if for that you get 2,000 years later, we're here. And I'm proposing what would have happened? You wouldn't even have to ask the question as much about what are women to do if in in the beginning time we always modeled that sense of the posture of male leadership and they are serving and caring and protecting and guiding and women are helping, there's not even attention now to probably have as many women having to go and be CEOs, get job, do all this other stuff. Now, and so I'm proposing that, man, you get, you get a guy doing what he's supposed to do. You know what I'm saying? Now you go, well, well, but, but, but hey, it's too, my, my wife is this. My wife, Cool. And guess what? We're in Christ now. And so now it's the role of you as a man and a wife to be in your house saying, hey, okay, are we both working so we can both be really paid? Because I ain't the goal. That's not the goal of life. The goal is Christ. Okay? And about you making a ton of money. Or, so, so baby, are we, are we just trying to make sure, man, if you make a six, you know, six, and I'm making six, that's this what's up. You know what I'm saying? Or are we saying, look, you know what? We're struggling right now. And this is happening, and this is happening. So we're going to decide as a family, as you let me lead, affirming my leadership, that right now it's probably wise for you to work. You see that? I would think that's a practical way. <laughs> or, hey, you know what? We're making a ton of money, but I've been reading, and, and you know what? I, okay, what's, what's, what's the best way we can glorify God here? Because that's that's that should be the question. What's the best way we can honor God? Right now, I think you probably shouldn't work. And I want you to... Be homework, being doing ministry in the hood, caring for the kids, 
And having that combo, having that combo with what was always supposed to be in mind, and that is the glory of Christ. We want to exalt Christ. What's the best way my family can exalt Christ? So guess what? A single mom, we're still in a broken world. That mom has to work. Why? Because the dad didn't lead. So, and guess what? We're all in different positions. So some of us, I want you to don't you leave here thinking, man, Eric is saying I'm a woman and I work something wrong with me. Absolutely not. It's not true. I'm just saying, I want us to look at what the Bible says and then apply that and look at our lives and say, okay, how do we flow this? How do we do this in our life? Husband, wife, what do we do? I hope that makes sense. Um, the aim of the New Testament is not to redeem, I'm sorry, the aim of the New Testament is to actually redeem sin distorted relationships, men and women. But it redeems them by removing the distortions of headship and submissions, not by leveling all distinctions in role. This is the longest talk I've ever done. I'm sorry about that, guys, but it's, it's important for us to hear this. So um, let's close. I just want to end by saying, man, we're created with dignity, purpose, value, and worth, both men and women. Uh, it's messy because we've been in the fall for thousands of years. And guess what? All of our lives, this whole world is a result of being in a decreated state for thousands of years. Let's keep that in mind as we look at pragmatically how we flesh, how we flesh this thing out. And let's think about what God intended. Realize we've had a, we've, we've had a head start of messing things up. And let's now try to recover that based on what God is saying. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for um, your grace uh, in this. Uh, let's pray your spirit will guide us as we handle this messy issue. I just, I just so want the, my beautiful sisters who are awesome and doing great things in our community and great things in our world to, to have cheer and not feel targeted, but to know that we're just asking these questions as we do life, Lord. And, that, and I, I pray to be more of a burden for men in this room to uh, recover a biblical manhood that, that is attractive, that makes men uh, see us and go, man, that's, that's what a man is. And have women say, okay, I, I want to I wanna help that. Lord, have your way. And I just pray that we can be at the table, have great discussions, and have great conclusions that affirm your scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen.